Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away, I would lodge in the wilderness, Selah. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, Selah, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we're uh, extremely thankful for your word. Lord, as we open it, we know that we need you. We need you to understand it. We need you for us to receive it. We need you so that we'll love it. We need you so that it'll transform us. Lord, your, your son was clear when he said that apart from him, we can do nothing. And Lord, I know that very clearly for myself as I stand here before these people with your word, and I know, Lord, that only you can have the effects that need to happen here. It's abundantly clear. We don't need to hear the thoughts of a man or the ideas of a man. Lord, we need to hear from you, and we need to receive you. We need our hearts to be good soil for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would make our hearts the kind of hearts that gladly receive your word, finding it so helpful and so good. As the psalmist says, that it would be like honey to our souls. Lord, we're so thankful, Lord, that you have answered that request week after week after week. And so we come to your word with great anticipation, looking forward to hearing from you. All God's people pray. 
Amen. So, uh, guys, don't you just love the Psalms? I mean, the Psalms are amazing. John Calvin said that there's, there's something in the Psalms for every soul. There's a medicine for everything our hearts deal with. And uh, last week we looked at Psalm 32, which is a psalm of thanks for forgiveness. This week you can see we're in a psalm of fear. Uh, King David was, wrote this song about 1000 BC. In a terrifying time in his life, you can feel it in this song. His heart is just spinning in fear. He's begging God for help. Look at verse 1. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my pleas for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I'm restless in my complaint, and I moan because of the noise of my enemies, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. You're thinking like, what's David so afraid of? There's, there's very clear palpable fear here. What's he so afraid of? Well, if we look at the context of the passage, we can see that David is afraid because he's seeing evidence of a coup against him. So David is a king king of Israel, and he's sensing, he's seeing evidence that there's a mounting opposition to overthrow him as king. You could say, well, how bad that could that be? Well, remember, this is 3,000 years ago, 1,000 BC, in ancient Israel. There is no peaceful transition of power, okay? If you get overthrown as king, you don't live on as king emeritus, right, with a nice retirement plan and, and free health care. You die disgracefully, you and your family, and it means the destruction of, of everything you love. And David's seeing evidence of impending doom all around him. Did you see it in verse 9? He says, I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around its walls. Iniquity and trouble are within. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from the marketplace. So he sees the walls, which are normally a sign of security in a city. They would normally give him great comfort, these walls that protect the city. And he's seeing them uh, as dangerous. He's seeing them as closing in on him. He's seeing, you know, terrorists and rebels in the walls. Um, he's seeing trouble within the city in the midst of it, even in the marketplace. Everywhere he sees, he's seeing impending doom. It's like, it's like the city has turned against him overnight. And he's probably starting to think like, I know how these things go. How long will it be before the crowds cry out for my death? Added to that panic, he has the pain of discovering that it's been instigated by someone he thought he could trust. Look at verse 12. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolent with me, then I could hide from him. It's you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within the house of God. We walked in the throng. And then you drop down a little bit later in verse 20, he talks more about this betrayal that's happening here. He says, my companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was within his heart. His words were softer than oil, but they were drawn swords. So some friend of David, we don't know who, somebody he really trusted, has instigated this against him. And so you can imagine him, that adds to the fear, right? Because who do you trust? You know, who's on your side? And David's used to being a man in power. You know, he's a king. When the enemy's really clear, it's simple. You send troops, you take them out. But when you don't know who the enemy is, what do you do? You wait. You wait some more for destruction to come upon you. So you can just imagine David, and you can feel it in this psalm, that he's holed up in his, in his palace, frozen in fear, thinking, do I run or is it safer to stay here? All of his fears closing in on him. His mind is spinning, his heart is racing. And I would just ask you guys, can you relate to David's anxiety here? Can you relate to that kind of anxiety that's just like around you, surrounding you, growing, kind of circling? 
you know, coming in on you. You might not be an ancient king, you're not, um, and facing death or betrayal, but you felt what it's like for all your fears to suddenly start swirling around you. You've probably felt the restlessness, verse 2. I'm restless in my complaint and I moan, you know. He's, he can't sleep, he's tossing and turning at night. You probably have felt relentless pressure, verse 3. They drop trouble on me. You know, his fears are like rocks being piled upon him. One fear after another, one concern after another, one anxiety after another, like a pile of rocks that's crushing and suffocating him. You guys felt that before? Some mornings I wake up with a temptation to fear, but with no clear cause. I don't know if you guys ever experienced this. I'll wake up already ready for anxiety and terror. And then my brain's looking for what the reason is, which is super suspicious when the fear comes first. And you're looking for what it is. It's like, it's like I'm asleep, and, and, and during the night, all my anxieties line up around me. One of them's got a club. One's got brass knuckles. You know, one's got a knife. And they see me stirring, right? And they're like, he's getting up. Get him, right? And they all pile on. That's what he's talking about here. How about if you experienced the, the pounding heart and the tightening chest? Verse 4, For my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling have come upon me. And horror overwhelms me. Have you guys experienced that? The pounding heart, the tightening chest, the shortness of breath. You know, like you have way too many shots of espresso. You have this like hyper alertness, but you don't know what to do. It turns out the longer we let our minds spin around in anxiety... Eventually, our body wants to join the race, too, with a big shot of adrenaline. I had my first panic attack 20 years ago in Lake Tahoe in a really nice hotel. And uh, we were there for a conference, and I thought I was having a heart attack. Have you guys ever had this? Anybody ever had a panic attack, felt like they were having a heart attack? Yeah, it's great. It adds to the fear, right? Because you're like, now I think I'm having a heart attack. It adds to the anxiety. And I remember thinking, like, I'm not going to tell my wife. Because, you know, she's having a nice time. I don't want to get in the way. Plus, there's my fear of hospitals. So I'm just sitting there going, like, pretty sure I'm having a heart attack. You know, and that's what he's describing here, the, the pounding chest, the, the tightening. Have you guys experienced the urge to escape? Look at verse 6. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would run to find shelter from the raging wind and the tempest. You know, adrenaline, it's a fight or flight thing, right? And David, like us, the enemy's not clear. Where's his enemy? How does he fight it? Where does he run? He doesn't know. Or, or seeing evidence of doom everywhere. I, I really relate to verse 10. Day and night, they're around it on its walls, within, trouble is within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. You know, day and night, his fears are growing. He's collecting more and more things to worry about. It's exhausting. And, and he's seeing it everywhere, you know? Now, whether those fears are real or imagined, right? Some of us have such great imaginations that we're perfectly capable of seeing threats where they don't exist. Anyone got a great imagination for anxiety? You can spin all these tales, you know? If things look bad, and, and they are bad, you assume, well, this is just the beginning. It's going to be way worse. Or if things look good, then it's like, well, this is just evidence, you know, disasters around the corner, right? Things are going too well. One author said that worry is a misuse of the imagination, right? It's us using our imagination to, like, spin out all these possible scenarios of disaster, all these possible dystopias that could hit us. And a lot of them, guys, are, are mutually exclusive. It's not like all of them could even happen, 
but then you react to them as if they're all going to happen. That's the way anxiety works. And you can see he sees it all over the place. Mark Twain said this. He said, I'm an old man, and I've known a great many troubles, but most of them never happened. (laughs) Right? Can you guys relate to that? Guys, face it. When it comes to anxiety, you're a false prophet. I'm a false prophet. You know, how many prophecies of doom have we come up with? How many things have we imagined that never happened? Like, we are false prophets. And if somebody else was doing it to us, telling us these false prophecies, we'd stop listening to them. But we don't stop listening to us, do we? Yeah. Can you relate to David's anxiety here? If you can't relate, and I know some of you can't relate, I would just say, praise God, bless your neighbor. That's awesome, you know. But for those of you who can relate, this psalm is for you. So what do we do with our anxiety? Well, David tells us what he did with his anxiety. It's the turning point of the psalm, and it's in verse 16. He says, but I called to God and he saved me. David prays. I know that there's a lot of talk lately about, you know, us just giving trite answers. You know, Christians give trite answers to problems. You know, people have real problems with anxiety and stuff, and we just tell them to pray and we move on, and it's trite. You guys feel that way? I hope you don't, because David here, this isn't trite to David, and David had real problems. He wasn't imagining all these things, and this was his response, and it's the turning point of the psalm, guys. There's nothing more important than turning to the Lord with our anxieties, and so we're going to look at how he does it, but before we turn to that, I just want to mention a lot of people, modern readers, have had trouble with the way that David prays, what he prays for, okay? His prayer requests seem a little jarring to our sensitive ears, don't they? I know as Christina was reading it, some of you were like, well, that's pretty hardcore for church, right? David asked for God to kill his enemies, okay? There's no softening that. That's what he did. Look at verse 9. Destroy, O Lord, their divided tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Verse 15. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. For evil is in their dwelling place and in their hearts. And he says, let death steal over them or let them go down to Sheol alive. Sheol is the grave. What he's saying there is, let death come upon them suddenly without warning. Okay? Let death kind of open up, Sheol open up so that they fall. And kind of like the Sarlacc pit, right? That they just fall in. Or like Korah, uh, the rebellion at Korah and how you know, Moses stood back and, and the ground opened and all those people that were rebelling against God fell in. That's what he's praying for. These are called imprecatory psalms. These are uh, prayers to God to judge his enemies, and they're really common in the psalms. And this is one of the struggles people have with the psalms and why the psalms, for some people, are not their favorite book is because they see these imprecatory psalms and they don't quite know what to do with them. And we're going to hit more of them because there's, there's stronger ones than these. If this bothers you, I want you to notice a couple things about David's prayer here. David's imprecatory psalms here, his prayers for his enemies to be destroyed, these are his prayers for deliverance against people that are trying to kill him, okay? So he isn't praying these psalms against, you know, rivals in office politics or an annoying mother-in-law or something like that, right? These are people that are trying to kill him, right, and kill his family. Another thing to notice about these is that they're against enemies of the Lord that will not repent. Look at verse 19. He says, give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. They do not change. They don't repent. So he's praying this against people that are trying to kill him, that are unrepentant towards God, and he's asking God to save his life by killing his enemies, okay? Look at verse 28. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. So if you find yourself in a similar situation to David here, These are not bad prayers to pray, 
Hopefully you'll never be in that situation of mortal danger and people seeking your life and trying to kill you and your family. But these would not be unreasonable prayers to pray. Imprecatory psalms sound strange to us because often we're reading them over a, you know, peaceful cup of coffee in the morning, right? And we think like, oh, what should I do with, you know, let death steal over them and you let them go down alive to Sheol. Should I be praying this against my boss, my ex, you know, that guy on the freeway, right? Because we're in a different context, guys. And we're tempted to kind of look at David and go like, David, you know, don't be such a savage, right? You're supposed to forgive him and be nice to him like Jesus says. But guys, imagine that you're in a situation where you're facing truly evil people that are trying to kill you. Imagine being in Afghanistan last year when there was the big withdrawal and you're Christians in Afghanistan and, you know, the Taliban's coming through your neighborhood and and killing other believers or a hostage in the synagogue last week, right? In those situations, you might pray, Lord, take them out, even as you pray for their repentance and their salvation and you would do them kindness if you had the opportunity, just like Jesus says, you would pray that God would protect you, including in this way. But guys, we live in a totally different context most of the time, and your prayers for deliverance are going to sound different. They should sound different. And so uh, one of the things I'll do with these, and I think maybe it'd be helpful, is you can insert your problems. Uh, You can insert, you know, the forces of evil and your temptations as your enemies in the psalm. So you can pray an imprecatory psalm against the forces of evil, right? Evil spirits, demons, the devil. You can pray them against your temptations. You can pray them against your problems. You can pray like, Lord, swallow up and destroy all my fears. Destroy my temptations. Slay the devil and all of his spirits who assail me. You can still use these, you know, even if you're living in a time that's more, you know, safe where you're not dealing with mortal danger. There are still ways to use these psalms. And that's what we need to do with our fears, right guys? We need to pray. David says in verse 16, but I called to God and the Lord saved me. And this is the turning point in the psalm. This is how his whole outlook changes. And, and guys, praying is powerful. You know, like I was saying before, some people see like, oh, if we just tell people to pray or we're praying for them, that somehow we're not dealing with it. Guys, prayer is powerful. Prayer is the last thing the enemy wants you to do. When you're in fear, when you're dealing with anxiety, when you're dealing with troubles, prayer is the last thing the enemy wants you to do. I think what the enemy would like to do is make you just anxious enough and just miserable enough to make you ineffective and lose your joy, but not so much that you'd pray. I feel like once he pushes us so far that we pray, that's when he loses, right? That's the way that we battle things is we pray. It's the last thing our enemy wants us to do. Remember the Psalms also, guys, were the worship songs of ancient Israel. And I think this is so great because can you imagine singing this song this morning, Psalm 50? It's a song to express fear. So you would get together and you would sing this song about fear overcoming you and you would sing it for the people that are in your midst that are fearful, right? There's a certain population of us that come here and we barely were able to get here, right? Because of our anxiety and our our crushing fears. And, And so this song would have been a way for those of us who aren't afraid this morning to be able to connect with those who are fearful that we would sing it to one another. Isn't that amazing? And just to show like God's care for your anxiety, God's care for your fears, they, he would actually inspire multiple worship songs in the Psalms. And, and they, what they would do is they would sing them together. And they would counsel, this song, Psalm actually counsels the other people that are anxious in the body and what to do. You know, it says, well, I called out to the Lord. And a little bit later it says, cast your cares upon him. It's a song of counseling. 
And I would just say, let's be that kind of community, guys. Let's be the kind of community that's willing to sit with the anxious person and encourage them because we need each other. A lot of times fear is a very isolating emotion to feel. And you can see it with David. He's feeling more and more isolated. He's feeling more and more alone. Doesn't know who he can trust. And it's super important, guys, that we need one another as the body. And we need to sit with one another, encourage one another. You could sing to them. Psalm 55. It's a counseling song. So what does David encourage us to do? He doesn't just tell us to pray. He tells us he prayed. But he actually gives a command. Do you guys see what the command is here? This psalm is a, what it's called at the top, a maskal, which it comes from the Hebrew word to instruct. And so this psalm is meant to be instructions to us when we deal with fear. And there's one command in it. Do you guys see what the one command is for the people that hear the song? Anyone? Yeah, right. It's verse 22, right? Cast your burdens on the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. That's the one command here. And I want to look for a little bit of time here on how do we practically do that? How do we cast our burdens on the Lord? And the first way that we cast our burdens on the Lord, David actually models really well here, confessing our anxieties. Like when we come before him with our fears, we need to confess all of our fears. You know, when I'm spinning in anxiety, I have often actually prayed a version of verses four through eight. You know, Lord, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me. Horror overwhelms me. And then this whole desire to escape. Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. You know, I just want to escape all this. You can actually use this psalm when you're fearful to actually pray verses 4 through 8 to communicate that fear and then get very specific about what they do. Doesn't that help? Doesn't it help to like hear your fear so beautifully, eloquently stated? And there's something really helpful, guys, about confessing your fear out loud. You know, a lot of times we feel like we're just going to pray silently, and it, that's actually varsity-level prayer. And most of us are not varsity-level. Most of us, what we need to do when we really need to pray, we need to pray out loud. And so confessing those fears out loud, even using this as a template for that. And then, after we've confessed our fears, we need to cast our burdens on him, as verse 22 says. Remember how David described his fear in verse 3? He said that his fears are dropping on him. They drop down on him. They, they burden him. They're actually like a weight upon him. And in prayer, what we do is we hand those burdens back to the Lord, who's the one who should rightfully carry him, right? He's the one that can carry him. And so in prayer, we actually take each one of those burdens, we name them, and we surrender them. And you can do a prayer of surrender. I think it's helpful to even posture helps. Put your palms out like this, as if you're surrendering to the Lord. I've often, when I'm in severe anxiety, I'll lay down on the ground with my palms up and just hand over each individual care. You got to be very specific. You don't want to get up carrying any of them anymore. You want to hand them all to him. I'll pray something like, Father, I, I know you don't want me to be anxious. It's actually the most common command in the Bible, right? And I agree with you. I don't want to be anxious. You know, please take my fears from me. Please take my cares from me. And then I'll list them, you know, go through and actually list each one of the cares and hand them over. Say, these are yours. I cast all of my burdens on you, all my fears about my family or my health or my work or the church or burdens that my friends have given me. You know, that's one thing we do is we gather, right? Is we, we actually share our burdens with one another. Say, hey, can you pray for this? And I know some of you guys, you feel like, oh, the, somebody told me something, I need to solve it. I'm always like that. Oh, well, let's fix it. It's like, I'm not going to fix this. 
I'm not going to fix what they just told me, but I can pray for it. And you get all these cares, right? They hand them to you, and we want that, guys. We want that. Sometimes people say, like, oh, I don't want to burden you with this. Like, no, this is what it means to be a body. We care one another's burdens, right? And so fulfill the law of Christ. And so you, you hand your burdens to one another, and then what, we're not meant to carry those. Like, we're to hand those over in, in prayer. And so handing over fears about family and health and work and church and burdens of my friends and and those of us have shared things with me and burdens and concerns about like the state of our nation and our finances and our future. Be very specific like David was. Very specific. You want to hand them all over and out loud is best. And say if you can do it in the car, that's a great place to do it because who knows, nobody knows what you're saying. You know, you could be praying there. You could be praying on a walk. A prayer walk's good. Neighbors might think you're crazy. It's great in a park. Um, if you can't do it out loud, I'd highly recommend that you write out your prayers so you're very specific. Because you guys know, like, when you pray, you're like, and Lord, you know, I pray for our missionary, Lorian, and then it's like, oh, you know what, I kind of like a sandwich right now. And, you know, it's like, out loud helps. You're not going to do that out loud. Out loud helps. Writing it helps. We actively cast them on him, and we, we hand them over to him. And then we pray for his peace. You know, pray something like, Father, you know, I've given you all my burdens and fears. Now give me your peace. As I'm united with Christ by the Spirit, I can, I can have his peace. And you could say something like, Father, I know for a fact that you are not afraid of these things. <laughs> You're at perfect peace about these things. Give me your perfect peace. I don't have any peace in myself. I need yours. You're reigning on your throne. You know how all these things are intended for my everlasting good. Give me your peace. I'm going to leave all of these things in your hands, in your sovereign hands. And then I think a great prayer, which a mentor told me to pray a long time ago, is, that, is to pray something like, and Lord, when I go picking them up again, or they drop on me, remind me to come back. Because you've just left all your burdens with the Lord, and then you walked away, and you're like, they're all back. You know, like, I just put them over here, you know. Put them on the Lord again. And that becomes a habit with us, and we need to repeat as often as, as we need to. Uh, one of the most helpful things the Lord taught me about anxiety is the need to regularly repent of anxious thoughts. Because anxious thoughts are slippery. Lustful thoughts are pretty obvious that they're wrong, like thoughts of anger, thoughts of just malice towards other people. Those kind of thoughts are very easy to identify as, as being wrong, but anxious thoughts are slippery, right? Sometimes they feel like being responsible, it's like, well, if they're not going to worry about it, then I need to. Somebody's got to worry about this, right? Like, it sounds like responsibility. When I first started really kind of battling my anxious thoughts, they were like the background noise of my heart, like white noise, something you don't notice because they were there all the time. And when I started to actually, you know, repent of fears and make it a habit, you know, I noticed how often I was doing it. It started to make me wonder, like, what do other people do while they're driving? You know, this is what I do, you know. I, apparently, I'm anxious the entire time, thinking about all my problems, you know. Uh, what do other people do? And I realized that I needed to repent of it the same way. You need to repent of thoughts of bitterness or anger or lust. And when you start that kind of practice, you're going to more and more see anxious thoughts, not as normal, but as invaders, as foreign, as something that needs to be repented of. And the idea here is that we would develop a reflex in our hearts, to where you have a fearful thought and you immediately go to prayer. That's the reflex we want to develop. Don't you want a, a reflex like that? That you would have an anxious thought and you would immediately go to prayer. You know, this would make us the kind of people who were, who were praying without ceasing. You read that command, right? Pray without ceasing. How is that done? Well, us who are more prone to anxiety, we have an advantage over the rest of you guys. And then we have constant reminders to prayer. And so developing some sort of a reflex. 
Um, one thing that would help too is to have in your day some checkpoints. He has some. Look at verse 16. David says, But I call to God and the Lord will save me. Evening, morning, and noon, I utter my complaint and I moan and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battles that I wage. For many are arrayed against me. He has these checkpoints. There's, there's morning, evening, there's noon. You could develop some checkpoints, you know. Maybe it's when you first get up in the morning, kind of go through, cast all your cares upon the Lord. Uh, maybe you have one like right when you arrive at work or something, before you go inside, you do it. At lunchtime, you do it. On your drive home, you do it. You know, whatever fits your, your day, but having set checkpoints. Checkpoints like you have at a border, right? So you get to that border in your day, and the Lord's like, do you have anything to declare? And you're like, yes, I have lots of things to declare. I'm freaking out. And you hand over all the things, you know. He wants to see what's in your pockets. He wants to search your car, right? You need to hand them all over to him. And if you're not sure what's making you anxious, like Psalm 139 says, search me and know me. You know, show me if there's any wicked way in me and lead me on the way everlasting. But to have some set checkpoints in your day. Otherwise, you know, if you pray once a day, uh, if you kind of deal with these things once a day, you spent all day doing this. That's where the severe attacks of anxiety come from. It's just that background noise that's within our hearts. And so cast all your cares upon him. So there's this command in verse 22, cast all your cares upon the Lord. But did you notice there's a promise as well? Second half of it says, and he will sustain you and never let the righteous be moved. There's a promise here, guys, that if we cast our cares on the Lord, that he will reverse any harms that come to us. Other translations say he will never let you fall. Like, you will never be destroyed by any of the things you're worried about if you cast your cares upon him, that he will reverse all harms. And the best example of Psalm 55, a righteous person who cast his cares upon the Lord and was sustained and never moved, is Jesus Christ. I don't know if you guys notice this, but Psalm 55 is Jesus' song. Think about it king of Israel, facing a plot against him, betrayed by a closest friend. I think I've heard this story before. Yes, this is Jesus' song. Jesus Christ, he's born a thousand years after David wrote this psalm. Um, he is from the line of David. Jesus was born to reign as Israel's king forever. You guys remember him coming in on Palm Sunday into Jerusalem? He knew why he was coming. He was coming to move towards the cross to die for us. The crowds welcomed him, right, as Israel's king, but the religious elite were already plotting his death. And Jesus knew it. You can tell he knew it. He brought it up a bunch of times. He knew it. He's the one who could truly sing, I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around its walls. Iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from the marketplace. The city truly did turn against that king. And even Judas, one of Jesus' closest friends, was in on the plot. Jesus is the one who truly sings, verse 20, My companion has stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth like butter, yet war was within his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. So Jesus comes into Jerusalem, not to destroy his enemies, but to save them. And Jesus' guys is walking directly into a plot he knows is formed against him because he's volunteering to take away our greatest fear. Jesus came facing all those fears so that he could remove the only thing we should really be afraid of, right? The penalty of our sin against a holy God. He was, willingly came to be crucified for us to remove the only thing we should really fear. 
And as Jesus approached it, he was filled with dread, the kind of dread you see in Psalm 55. On the night that he was betrayed, Matthew says that Jesus went to a place called Gethsemane, where it says that he was sorrowful and troubled. He fell on his face and prayed, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. The cup that he was trembling before was the cup of the wrath of God that was meant for us. The writer of Hebrews comments on Jesus' prayer this way. He says this, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Have you guys ever thought that verse was weird? It says he was heard because of his reverence. So he was heard? But he died. He was heard, guys. Because even though Jesus died, the promise of Psalm 55, 22 was realized in his life. God did sustain Jesus, and he didn't allow him to be moved. Because you see that what Jesus' enemies really wanted to do is they wanted to dethrone Jesus as king. That's what they were really after. They wanted to dethrone him as king. The religious elite and Pilate both were crucifying him for his claims to be king. And here's the crazy thing. Though they tried to dethrone Jesus through crucifixion, they ended up enthroning him by mistake. Isn't that amazing? It's like this amazing judo move, you know? Where, you know, judo moves like you, you use your opponent's strength against them. So all the forces of evil are arrayed against Jesus, and they give him their worth. And what happens? They end up enthroning him by mistake. Jesus told his disciples this would happen. In John 12, he said, When I am lifted up from the earth, the cross, I will draw all men to myself. And he said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. And that's exactly what we see happening over the last 2,000 years. Is that he was crucified, lifted up, and in the process enthroned. And he is drawing all people to himself. He reigns as king. They tried Using the cross to dethrone him, they ended up enthroning him by mistake. God reversed all the harms done to Jesus. You know, Jesus trusted the Father. He casted all his burdens on him, and the Father sustained him and never let him be moved. And one thing we're promised, guys, is that God will reverse all the harms that come to you as well. And we've seen it done in the life of Jesus. The same thing's going to happen in your life. He will sustain you and never let you be moved. If you turn from your sin and trust in Jesus... You are the righteous. Because you might see this promise and go, well, it's not for me, right? He'll never let the righteous be moved. Like, that's not about me. But if you trust in Jesus Christ, God sees you as the righteous. And he will not let you be moved. He will reverse all of your problems. All of your enemies can do their worst to you. And you'll never be moved from blessing from God. They'll never be able to harm you in a way that doesn't actually lead you to more and more blessing. You know, the one who has all power is reigning, and he'll work all things for your good. He did it for Jesus, right? All of Jesus' sufferings and losses return to glory, and he's going to do the same thing to you. And that may be through some truly severe affliction, right? This is not health wealth in the sense that, like, hey, you're going to live your best life now. Jesus did not live his best life now. Paul did not live his best life now, right? It may be through some severe affliction, but, guys, it will be a real sustaining, and he will not let you be moved. He will perform the same kind of judo move on any evil that comes into your life. He will turn it all into blessing. You guys will see. No matter how our enemies attack us, we win. You guys realize this? Like, if our enemies take our reputation, we'll discover that our acceptance in Christ is better. We won. If he takes away our health, we will long more and more for our resurrection body. That's a win. If he takes away our wealth, we're going to learn that the Lord really does provide, just as he said. That's a win. That's a win. 
If he takes our relationships, we're going to find a communion with God that is better than any friend. Take our lives, that would be his biggest mistake to do. (laughs) Take our lives and we're going to begin to truly live. No matter, guys, where our enemies attack us, any direction we fall, we fall into more glory and more joy. Just like the crucifixion of Jesus. They killed him, they only made him happier and stronger. Same with us. No matter what troubles you have, guys, Jesus reigns. Those things you fear, those things you're terrified about, God will make them serve for your everlasting good. They have to. All things have to work together for your good. Because our God reigns. Verse 19, it says he's been enthroned from of old. The 18th century abolitionist and hymn writer, William Cooper, he had a brutal life, okay? This was a guy that suffered with crippling anxiety and depression, attempted suicide multiple times. And this is what he wrote in one of his hymns. You probably have heard the hymn before, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. He said this, You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are ready with mercy and will break in blessing on your head. Your God is on the throne. He's in control. Cast your cares upon him. He will sustain you and never let you be moved. So the question this morning is, can you put all your fears and burdens into Jesus' crucified hands and trust him with it, that he's king and he's going to reverse anything that comes upon you? Can you stop trusting in your own imagination to tell you your future? We've already seen it doesn't work. And start using your imagination to believe the Lord when he says, behold, I make all things new. And I love how David ends it. He ends this psalm so emphatically, so defiantly. Even as the anxiety, you know it's still swirling around him and the fears are still swirling around him. He grabs hold of God's promise and he says in verse 23, look at the very end. He says this, but I will trust you. Let's pray. Father, we will trust you. Lord, it's a scary thing to even look at and to think and to proclaim because we know how much immense suffering this world can bring. We know what the ravages of sin can do. And yet we know that you've been enthroned as king on high from of old, and we know that you're going to work all things together for our good. And we look at what you did in the life of Jesus in that amazing surprise reversal, all his sufferings, all his difficulties, all that darkness turned to glory. And we just pray, Lord, that you would help us to believe it, that we would believe that all these things are creating for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison to any things we experience here, Lord. Lord, we'll trust you. Father, you're good. We're so thankful that you would make such a promise to us who have sinned against you, have, we've actively tried to dethrone you as well. And you, you've made this promise to us through your son Jesus. I pray for anybody here that, that hasn't trusted in Jesus Christ, that hasn't received all of these amazing promises, that they would come to you this morning, that even as we put the Lord's Supper out for those who have trusted in you, we pray, Lord, that more people would find hope in the death, resurrection, ascension, and reign of your son, Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week 
and guide your steps.